even on an ordinary day. And even when we read just a few verses from the Gospel, it's striking how much wisdom there is in the Word of God. It's Monday morning, it's ordinary time, it's not a feast day. And yet, the, the scriptures overflow with wisdom for us. So we read just a few verses from the Gospel of Mark this morning, and then the beginning of the letter of St. James, which is full of practical wisdom. In fact, St. James is a great, uh, what's the word, uh, a preparation for the upcoming season of Lent, because James has so much great advice about what to do and how to do things differently. Yes, it's ordinary time, uh, uh, Monday, ordinary day. And yet we're also aware that we are approaching the great season of Lent. So with that in mind, we can even take these few verses as a preparation for what is to come. But before we look at today's gospel, just recall briefly yesterday's gospel. It was also a pretty simple story. Uh, a leper approached Jesus, told him if he wanted to make him clean, he could make him clean. Jesus said, yes, I certainly do. Be clean. That was it. Now, the rest of that gospel, you remember, is the, uh, the strict, the strict uh, word of Jesus, don't go tell anyone, and the man <laughs> went off and told everyone. But setting that aside for a moment, we see something very simple and beautiful about approaching Jesus with a problem, placing it at his feet, acknowledging his power, and then letting God do the rest. Something profound about that. Because all of us are burdened with some kind of problem, physical illness, spiritual weakness, emotional problem, relational problem, or any kind of problem. Some kind of leprosy, right? And what can we do about it? We can't solve it. We can't heal ourselves. We can't take our own sins away. And yet, we come before Jesus and say, you, you can do something about this. And he says, I want to. And he does. There's something really precious about that instruction. Now, I just want you to call that back to mind because in today's gospel, we have the opposite way of approaching Jesus. Listen to this first verse again. The Pharisees came forward and began to argue with Jesus seeking from him a sign from heaven to test him. Little clue here. <laughs> Approaching Jesus in order to argue with him is not the best way. You can imagine the leper approaching Jesus in yesterday's gospel uh, to argue with him. Like, I have leprosy and I shouldn't have it and uh, you've done something wrong here and why don't you show me that you could fix my problem? <laughs> and what would Jesus do? He would back off and say, well, you're looking... You're, you're, you're trying to control God. You're trying to place yourself above God. You think you're wiser than the wisdom of God. Well, it doesn't work like that. Anyone with that attitude gets nothing. So here are the Pharisees. They come forward and begin to argue with Jesus. Seeking from him a sign, meaning demanding a sign, in order to test him. Well, they don't want a sign so that they will change or so that they will gain wisdom. They want a sign to put him in his place. 
to, to prove something about him or prove something against him. Well, this, even before we get to the question of a sign, uh, this idea of arguing with Jesus uh, made me pause for a minute and reflect. <clears throat> of course, it's, it's a bad idea to start out with, with the position that I'm right and you're wrong, God. That, that, that's it's a guarantee to be to be uh, to lose the argument. But there is a way in which we do argue with the Lord. In the sense that we do present to him our, our, our problem and, and our sense that it's not supposed to be like this. I mean, the leper did that, right? If you want to cure me, you can do it. If you want to make me clean, you can do it. It's a kind of argument. It's, it's, a, it's a way of saying there's something going on here that shouldn't be like this. I'm carrying a burden that I don't want to carry and I don't think I should, but... So it's a kind of argument, right? It's a presentation of a question, at least. And there is a right way to do that. As long as we don't start with the idea that I'm right and you're wrong, Lord, we can come to the Lord and say, I've got a problem here. I've, I've, got, I've got the wrong answer here, and I can't figure out how to get the right answer. Maybe place yourself in the position of a student in your mathematics class, maybe a uh, I remember going to algebra teachers. It, arithmetic is different. It's either right or wrong, right? It's either right or wrong. But when you get to algebra and there's a little bit more, there's a few steps to be taken and, and, and you go through the process and come up with the wrong answer. I say, well, I, what happened here? So, and the teacher says, well, the right answer is 10. And I got 43. And well, okay. You go to the teacher. And I've had very good math teachers in my in my schooling days, who would walk me through the steps. And, I, and it's, you could say I went and argued with them and said I, I got 43 and it, I, it seems to be the right answer. And then, and it was a good thing to go and say, here's my argument and have the teacher say, well, here's the step you're missing or here's what you're doing twice or here's where you went off the, the correct path. And, Here's where you can make a correction, and look, it will, you will, if you do it properly, you'll still get up, you'll still, you'll still end up with number 10. Oh, oh, I'm much happier to know the right answer and to know how to get it. I'm not happy to cling to my 43, or whatever the wrong answer is, because I know it's wrong. Okay, so I, I, I see the different disposition in, in, in arguing with Jesus, arguing with the Lord, in, in an attempt to find out the truth, as opposed to imposing my assumed right answer on the Lord as if he's wrong. This is something to reflect on when we pray and get no for an answer. But that was just basically what the Pharisees could complain. They could say, well, Jesus said, uh, ask and you shall receive. We asked for a sign and we didn't receive. You could imagine the self-righteousness come up, coming up and saying, well, what's his problem? He told us, he told us to ask him, ask him for things and we did ask him. We asked him for a sign. And he didn't give it to us. So something wrong with him. This is an attitude, by the way, we take far too often with one another as if 
people should do things the way we expect. I know married couples are always are always encountering this. You know, all I did was tell them to you know make the bed. All I did was tell her to to, to, to whatever prepare this, and she, oh, she got all flustered about it as if I told her to you know to change the whole world or something. Well, well, the attitude behind it is. Uh, I'm right, you're wrong, I, you should be doing things my way, and uh, you're, you're, you don't do it. Well, that, that never, that's never the right attitude. But when we, we, we come before the Lord with a prayer, and we get no for an answer, it's like that student in the algebra class getting the wrong answer. Well, he could fight for that, right, that wrong answer all day if he wants to, but it's never going to be right. But if he comes and says, well, what, where is this? What, what's, what's going on here? I'm going to argue with you until you show me the truth that I long for. But that's, that's right. Saints did this. With, I, you know who did this? The Blessed Virgin Mary. Remember the Annunciation? The angel says, uh, this is going to happen. Uh, you're going to conceive and bear a child. And she says, well, how can that be? How can that be? You could say, in a sense, she argues with him. How can that be? I don't have any relationship with a man that would make that happen. It's kind of an argument. But it's not an argument to say, I'm right, you're wrong. It's a, it's a show me the, how, why I have the wrong answer here, or why I can't see the right way forward. Okay, so maybe that's clear enough. So the Pharisees come forward, they argue with Jesus, and he sighs from the depth of his spirit. He sees through their self-righteousness and their arrogant demands, and he can't see a way to reach these people. What can I do? What can I possibly do to, to bring you into wisdom? Why does this generation seek a sign? How many signs do you have to see? Jesus has been performing signs right and left on both sides of the lake. He keeps going over from one side to the other side, one side to the other side, driving out demons, curing people. And then they come up and say, show us a sign. What? You can see why he would sigh from the depth of his spirit, his deep longing to save people, to bring them into the light of truth, to give them wisdom. And that desire is being frustrated by that hardness of heart. What can I do? Well, I'm going to say no to you. No sign for you. And I'm going to go back over to the other side. That is also a sign. Getting no for an answer is also a response from God. And to having, have, have him go somewhere else and leave you behind, that's also a sign. It means you're in the wrong place. So there's something very positive about getting no for an answer or being told how your answer is wrong because then you can make a change. You can follow the Lord to the other side, to the correct side. And this it comes up in, in the, the letter of James. Listen to what he says here. Very beginning in the letter. Consider it all joy, my brothers and sisters, when you encounter various trials, for you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Consider it joy when you 
encounter various trials. Now, he's deliberately saying it in a provocative way to, 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 to startle us. What's so good about trials? We think it's joy when we don't have trials or when our trials are gone. But he says, consider it joy when you encounter trials because this is a test of your faith and it leads to perseverance. It's, it's like getting the wrong answer and then having to work through the process until you come to the correct answer. And this is a humbling experience. It's humbling to be a leper. It's humbling to have the wrong answer. It's humbling to not know. And that kind of humility is a good place to be in because then we turn to the Lord and say, if you want to give me the right answer, you can do so. If you want to give me light, you can do so. If you want to make me clean, you can do so. Here I am, Lord. I come to do your will. It's the right, the right attitude. That's why James, continuing to give us practical wisdom about this, says, if any of you lacks wisdom, he should ask God, who gives to all generously and ungrudgingly, and he will be given it. If you need wisdom, ask for wisdom. But to ask for wisdom is also to acknowledge you don't have it. I, I don't know, Lord. This seems like the right answer, Lord, but you're telling me it's not. I don't know what to do now. But he should ask in faith, not doubting. Asking in faith doesn't mean I'm going to drum up enough positive energy that I'll get it right. It means that disposition of the leper we saw yesterday. It's, it's you, you know the right answer and you have that power and you... It, you're the, you're the Lord in this condition, and I'm not. So doubting cuts us off from the very power that we need. That's why it says one who doubts is like a wave of the sea driven and tossed about by the wind. Yeah, no foundation. Because if we're not standing on the truth, if we're not standing on the Lord, well then we don't, we're not standing anywhere. Just our own, the whims of our flesh, our own passions. Today's psalm brings up a couple of these, this, these uh, same uh, insights about the value of acknowledging that we're in the wrong and arguing with the Lord from a humble disposition. This is what it says in the psalm. This is just excerpts from Psalm 119. Before I was afflicted, I went astray, but now I hold to your promise. So being afflicted, even though I didn't like it, was actually a good thing for me because it humbled me. You are good and bountiful, teach me your statutes. It is good for me that I have been afflicted, that I may learn your statutes. Well, only a humble person can say that. Only a person who has learned the lesson of having argued with the Lord and discovered again, the Lord is right and I'm wrong, and that's a good thing, that the Lord is right. Okay, there's many other ways to approach this, but I think that's far enough. Good, good, uh, Remote preparation for Lent in Lent, which starts on Wednesday, we'll be making this humble presentation of ourselves before the Lord, marked with ashes, acknowledging that we're sinners, we need a time of repentance. That's a very wise way to live. And the wisdom of the scriptures, which just overflows to us every day, uh, is pointing us in this direction as we prepare for the great season of Lent.